And got to welcome Paul Dejanovic, uh here, the author of the book, Precious Metals for Dummies, here to The Real Money Show. Darren. Well, first things first, Paul, I'd like to welcome you to The Real Money Show. And prior to me asking my first question, I am completely uh, interested in knowing what drives you in this particularly insane market of precious metals to write a book called Precious Metals for Dummies. Well, Precious Metals, actually, Precious Metals Investing for Dummies uh, is the title, and I'm looking forward to doing an updated one since uh, that, that, current, that book is a little bit dated, but I thought it was a very important topic for the times that we're in. Um, I think that, uh, look, I'm a certified financial planner, and uh, last year was my 30-year anniversary, and I think that one thing that really um, bothered me was not so much how the American public and the world public, uh, but mostly the American public, how they are uh, in, the, in the North America, they, they, they're not as, as well-versed about precious metals, and I think they definitely need it. But you know, what, what's really shocked me in recent years is how I think a lot of financial advisors out there, you know, either have uh, ignorance or hostility to precious metals, which I find very, um, uh, very disconcerting for these times uh, when they should be serving their clients about understanding them. So for me, uh, writing books such as that and continuing uh, to be on great venues such as yours is important because people need to understand about the who, the what, and the why about precious metals, especially given the reality of the 2016 you know, uh, world of financial markets and the economy. Right. And again, there's a lot to be said for the validity, the validity of holding precious metals in many forms uh, within a person's portfolio or even if they don't have a portfolio. Where are we, in your best opinion, at present in terms of the precious metals markets worldwide, and where might we be heading over the medium term? Oh, well, first of all, I'm, uh, I count myself as uh, somebody very bullish on it right now. Uh, and, you know, what's interesting, what makes me more and more bullish about gold and silver is not as much gold and silver as I see everything else out there. Uh, I, I think that when you see uh, bubbles galore, you know, um, growing by literally trillions across the world global financial landscape, this is a worrisome thing because people don't understand that paper assets, um, you know, if, if, if there's one weakness that it has that a lot of people don't know, even conventional financial advisors, is that, you know, paper assets have a huge counterparty risk. And, uh, you know, when I was on your site earlier, I saw that phrase there and I was delighted because counterparty risk is probably one of the few uh, risks out there that are just not addressed enough uh, you, you have a lot of financial advisors who are talking about, you know, being diversified among stocks and bonds and the rest, but they forget that precious metals, especially when you're talking about from a, you know, from a bullion point of view, are necessary. What I see coming is that because the paper assets have just gone into hyperdrive and could easily have a, a bubble popping any day or any week, um, I think that the metals are poised from, uh, from both fundamentals and when you juxtapose it with the risks of other paper assets, bonds and bubble, and bonds and stocks and so forth, I think we're on the cusp of uh, possibly uh, uh, the most significant bull market in precious metals that I've seen in my lifetime and possibly ever given the dollar values of the numbers that we're looking for across the globe. You know, so I'm very bullish on precious metals. And uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, I've been um, 
I guess, uh, you know, uh, on notice publicly in the last couple of years that I'm expecting a gold to uh, head north of 2,000 and to see silver go north of 100. And again, uh, partly because of their own intrinsic value, but to a greater extent because the rest of the world's paper assets are, are such a hazardous landmine today. And again, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I mean, the counterparty risk that you mentioned there is something that we hold have held true to since day one. I mean, we focus solely on, from a precious metals perspective, the physical precious metal itself. And so our whole system is set up for that. But that being said, when we look back at the last 40 years, I mean, I think most financial planners, when they actually sit down and do this, are shocked to realize that the most negatively correlated asset class to stocks, bonds, and cash are precious metals. So if you're talking about truly diversifying your portfolio, I mean, there, I can think of no better way to do it than to have some gold or silver in there. But if we focus purely on physical gold and silver for a moment in relation to what you've just talked about, and we look at the fundamentals playing a role in the market, where do you think the second half or the later stages or even the fourth quarter of this year are taking us? You threw out a number there of saying, suggesting perhaps silver could be even in the hundreds, but do you think that the fundamentals that uh, really underline this entire bull market are going to serve us well here coming into the end of the year? Absolutely. And as you know, now we're speaking in the September and typically September, October, and even November uh, tend to be friendly months for uh, seasonal buying for gold and silver. Uh, some of it is due when I'm, you know, I'm sure other uh, guests have mentioned things such as like the Indian wedding season, you know, because that ends up increasing the, uh, uh, the sale potential of gold and silver. Uh, in addition, in the U.S. markets, to a lesser extent, but still there, is when we were to, we're heading into the uh, the home stretch for things such as jewelry and related items for the uh, uh, for our holiday seasons coming up. So, it, it, and and to me, I think the short term where you people have to be more mindful of is uh, how I've seen it become more acute in the short term markets, like in Comex. In Comex, uh, if I quoted correctly, uh, very recently. The uh, the ratio of uh, paper gold to to physical gold and from paper silver to physical silver has uh, gone way over triple digits to one. In other words, for uh, you know, as people know or hopefully know, on COMEX they trade futures contracts on gold and silver. And right now, when you take a look at the notional value of these things, I, I, it's uh, it's something like uh, the uh, for every hundred. Uh, ounces of uh, of, uh, of gold, for example, uh, that are that they might be a p- potential paper claim to in the comics. There's only one ounce of silver, and it's even more extreme than that. I'm actually lowballing it. Um, but what does that mean when all of a sudden people start to do what you know you have told your uh, your uh, listeners and viewers for the longest time, which is to make sure you have the physical. Well, you know, I, I part of the sea change is that. You do have more and more people who are long-term gold, uh, uh, precious metals bears and long-term stock mar- uh, market bulls. They have started to change one by one. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure some people found out about uh, Stanley uh, uh, Druckenmiller and some of the other ones out there, and uh, Ray Dalio, and some of these have, have, have expressed more uh, positive bullish you know, views on gold and silver and are starting to become much more uh, you know, uh, wary of the stock market. So I think between the COMEX and the fact that the uh, uh, that a lot of the long-time uh, um, 
establishment, uh, you know, uh, of financial pros out there are starting to more and more you know, gravitate their money to this. Uh, you can see some real, I think, some, some potential um, fireworks in the remaining uh, three to four months of this year. And it's already started. As you can see, silver is uh, just breached 20. As I'm speaking to you real time today on the 24th, you see silver doing, uh, holding a very strongly at the $20 level. And what happens in October and, the, and, and some of the delivery months that have to come up uh, very soon? Uh, I, I, it, it, I think it's probably, um, I'll say that probably I'm expecting silver to go, uh, you know, to the mid-20s probably by the end of the year. Again, you know, it's always a hazard when you're doing short-term, you know, prognostications because the short-term never cooperates with you. Uh, I just know that uh, long-term, uh, the, uh, the bullish fundamentals are out, uh, better than anything I've ever seen uh, with precious metals, especially after this consolidation phase, because as you notice, from 2011 to, 2000, uh, to the end of 2015, was a, was a brutal bear market, and to a great extent, it was because of the machinations in the COMEX, but they're all starting to lose control right now, especially as greater demand happens not only globally, but again, from conventional venues who start seeing the value of having precious metals in their portfolios. Well, that's an amazing couple of points there. And one takeaway from that for me has always been that it's never ceased to amaze me at the limited percentage of actual delivery that occurs in the gold and silver futures market. And I think many analysts have pointed out over time, including David Morgan, who's been on this very show, that if you were to take just four or five percent of total deliverable product out of the COMEX right now and call for delivery, you could literally see the COMEX go bankrupt because of the lack of physical. So when you're talking about those high ratios of 100 to 1 in terms of how many actual ounces exist to paper ounces, this has been something we've discussed at the Real Money Show for years on end and certainly, uh, again, yet another reason to uh, pay attention when people like Miller and those are saying, hey, I'm looking at gold. Gold looks really good here and uh, we're going to take a few of our dollars and put it into that market. Now, from a perspective of owning gold, whether I'm an investor or not, do you think that owning gold and silver helps the average person, and I say person, not just investor, because I believe it applies to everyone, to truly diversify themselves? Oh, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've been speaking along these lines for, uh, for the last few years as, a, as, a, as, a, as an amazing point that I think of. One client of mine I do recall who uh, kept on accumulating uh, physical silver. Uh, and again, the great thing about physical silver, when you have it in your hands, you know, look, uh, there's, there's no denying it. Uh, it's, it's not like holding a, a stock certificate, but then you find out a year later the company's bankrupt and your stock certificate is, is zero. <laughs> this is where the real counterparty risks come in. But that particular client, this is going back a few years, she had a lot of money with a, a financial manager uh, uh, who was out of Texas, and uh, yeah, we all remember the, uh, the, the the famous guy who uh, uh, Madoff. You know, I mean, uh, and of course, the, uh, you know. Well, it seems as though they, uh, a uh, a second banana to Madoff doing the same exact thing, but not as famous, was in Texas, and uh, uh, she lost six figures with that uh, particular account. You know, but with the with the all the, the the Ponzi economics doing this, and when you think that Ponzi economics is now you know, uh, in charge on a global basis, especially in the bond markets and in the currency markets, then now people start seeing the, uh, uh, the value of the bullion. So I, I, I've told clients this in the past, and I continue, have the bullion uh, in your hands. 
because that's a diversification, you know, against everybody. Even financial advisors you do trust. Even stocks and things you do trust. It's just not enough out there. I mean, and, and people don't have the practicality to hold other assets. You know, nobody can as easily have things such as, you know, raw land or, uh, you know, or other types of, uh, you know, hard assets. Gold and silver is just a convenient way of holding it. And the, the fact that it would never go to zero compared to so many catastrophes that have occurred in financial markets in the last 20 years, you know, this is where true diversification comes in. And this is where I always try to make sure when I meet other financial advisors that they understand that you have to be diversified away from paper assets, not just to be diversified within paper assets. Those are valid points. And most of the planners that we speak to, their reasons for not liking gold are are naive. They will tell you that it doesn't pay dividends or that you can't live in it, you can't eat it. Well, those are all the part of the reasons why I like it, you know, because I can use it well, for other things pay- that they're not thinking about. You could say the same thing about certain stocks. Like Absolutely. If, if you own Twitter stock, as an example, and that was a catastrophe, you, know, you couldn't eat that either. For that. And by the way, now, because we're in the age of negative interest rates, and now on a worldwide basis, there's something like 10, uh, uh, was it there, like $10 trillion worth of, uh, of negative interest debt across the globe. Right. Now, all of a sudden... At least if I have my gold, 10 years from now, I'm going to have gold. If I have that bond, 10 years from now, I'm guaranteed to have less. What kind of investment is that? Well, that's absolutely true, 100%. It's just because locally or regionally, we haven't experienced that to the same extent as what they have in other places in the world that we just don't have or we haven't formalized an opinion on it. Back we go with Paul Mlodjenovic here, uh, the author of Precious Metals for Dummies. Darren. Speaking of interest rates, though, do you feel the Fed, although because this Wednesday they didn't increase rates, do you think that the Fed is going to hold true to what they said this past week about raising interest rates next year? We uh, we saw them kind of tip their cap to the idea that they might raise interest rates as much as a half to three quarters of a point next year. And if so, is it possible to provide your opinion on the long-term effects of higher interest rates and what they would do to gold and silver? Well, let me tell you a few things about this one. I... I uh, I remember in uh, I remember in 2015. I forgot when it was. They kept on projecting that it might be as many as three interest rate uh, you know, uh, increases in 2016. And what did you have so far this year? One, and they've been freezing them. They've been talking about how they've been data dependent and looking at the markets, and they think that they're doing well. But the economy, But listen, if, if they're truly looking at the numbers. And, and, I, and I think that they didn't raise, they're not going to raise interest rates until after the elections because they are well, also very uh, politically dependent as well. You know, nobody wants a bad economy going into an election, especially people seeking whatever re-election, etc. Uh, to me, uh, I think that for the foreseeable future, uh, the, uh, the rates will not rise. And partly the reason that, the, uh, and, and look, and they know if interest rates do rise, even by a modest percentage, what are you risking? you have uh, the greatest debt bubble in world history happening right now. Um, and the economy is very fragile. And I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if a month from now the, the latest data comes up, because you know, people you know, will d- uh, denote something as a recession up to six months after it occurs. It, you know, no one announces it's a, a recession at that moment. They have to look at back data to see, yes, we were. And, and, if I, and, and in my thinking, when I see the data and I talk to you know, all the folks that I respect, 
the case could be made that we're in a recession right now. When you look at the real data behind the uh, behind the numbers, you know that are that aren't uh, you know fudged for uh, for public consumption. Uh, the uh, the interest rates are going to be kept as low as possible uh, until they're actually forced to increase uh, interest rates. And what that'll happen is that you know in many cases. You, you you may end up being forced to raise interest rates under uh, several conditions. Number one, if inflation starts to rear its ugly head, and that is a definite a definite possibility in the next three six nine months. So that's one possible you know a reason for raising interest rates. The the uh, the other one is. Uh, if we're talking about if money starts to flow across the globe, especially if the Chinese currency you know uh, reaches uh, you know, reserve status, then. Uh, you know, th- then the point is, as money flows, money will go to wherever is the greatest uh, uh, return on it. So, therefore, interest rates might end up rising for that potential uh, reason to keep to keep bonds competitive, so that people will move money there versus away. Because what happens if people start cashing in their uh, uh, their, their their treasury bonds, etc., and money starts to flow back into the U.S. economy? That will cause some inflation. So. As far as I'm concerned, if if they want to, uh, you know, I mean, they're not going to keep the uh, the, the global uh, crisis away for long, but part of what they'll do to try to postpone it is going to try to be keep interest rates as low as possible for as long as possible. I'd be interested in knowing, Paul, what your opinion is on the differences because you've spoken about, especially in the book, extensively about paper and uh, physical gold, the different types of way a person can invest in these two assets. But I'd be interested in knowing because we are focused on the physical side of gold and silver markets. Um, and I'd be interested in knowing your thoughts on the importance of physical ownership of gold and silver. I know you alluded to just a minute earlier about having the gold in your hand. What are your thoughts on the importance of physical ownership versus paper? First of all, I, I, I'm, I'm a strong proponent of I have the physical myself. I, I don't tell people anything. I don't do this uh, myself. And of course, you have to go through the, uh, uh, you know, the, to the, uh, you know, to, you know, learn a few things about safekeeping to keep it away. Because uh, now uh, we, we live in the age when everything is is questionable, even if uh, a bank deposit uh, box these days. So people have to be, um, you know, um, more attuned to how they're going to keep, you know, uh, their uh, there's safe as well, and uh, for me, when I come across people ask me what kind of uh, bullion should you get, I, I always say to them, until you understand the markets better, because I make there is a clear distinction between bullion coins and numismatic coins, and the numismatic coins requires people to be a little bit more diligent about it because there's other factors involved. Of course, but I tell people until they get uh, proficient, uh, I the. Uh, the way for beginning investors or people who consider themselves newbies <laughs> to the world of gold and silver, the physical, uh, I I like bullion coins, you know. Uh, I, I and, and you made the things like the the uh, the U.S. the eagle, uh, both the gold eagle and the silver eagle, I think are uh, just just just. I mean, millions are sold week, millions are bought and sold week in and week out, and I'm sure you're uh, you know. The, 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 a lot of great firms, Guildhall, for tremendous example, demand. Absolutely, you know, uh, see both the demand and people need also, uh, you know, reliability and integrity. So it's a pleasure to be uh, on the program such as yours, and I and, and I realize that part of the issue, uh, part of the, the scenario is a gold hole. So I wish them all success with meeting the demand and, and serving these people. Uh, so uh, as the, as they get more and more, uh, you know, proficient, uh, once they get past uh, the bullion. Then to uh, a uh, 
possibly a smaller extent because, again, I don't know who's listening to me within the sound of my voice. Some people, you know, are um, sophisticated enough to understand uh, numismatics and, and issues such as, you know, grading, authenticity, and, uh, and, and uh, mintage, etc. Those are all various factors that beginning investors uh, don't grasp yet. So uh, I, I'm sure that the proficient among your audience uh, can go to that uh, with, with greater confidence. Um, I also know that uh, with numismatics, uh, it's not something you're going to buy and sell immediately. They, they, are, they are definitely a long-term holding of five years and longer. And for me, because I expect that the next five years are going to be extraordinarily friendly to, uh, to, to the prices of gold and silver, then some mix of the physical, especially the, uh, like the bullion that I mentioned. I mentioned U.S. Eagles, but I know that the uh, Canadian, the Maple Leafs are, are superb, and, and they, uh, um, they, they are made with exacting standards similar to the U.S. Eagle. And the Krugerrand is still around as well. So there's a, there's, there still are uh, good values at those levels, but uh, they need to react sooner because who knows when there'll be a buying panic. Uh, you, when people start seeing these things rise, nothing, uh, you know, nothing advertises the, uh, the value of gold and silver better than the price itself. And now it's being tracked more so than ever before because now people are uh, hopefully uh, much more astute in watching the general global market and see that, yes, gold and silver are, uh, are an important part of that along with every, anybody's portfolio. Well, that's interesting take because it it goes hand in hand with kind of what the next question is. You mentioned seasonality of it, for example, uh, things such as the Indian wedding season as jewelry demand, Christmas approaches. And for our clients, they do have a very, very uh, simple list of questions that they ask, one of which is, well, I've heard silver is very volatile as an example, and it can be. Of course, we know the faster something rises, the faster the uh, opportunity it has to be taken down, especially in a thinner market like silver. But I've also pointed out to people that these are cyclical markets. You can see these patterns develop over time, especially from 2002 to 2011, and those cycles seem to be uh, very much intact would you be able to explain the most recent correction of the gold price since 2011? Do you think we're in a new cycle? And if so, and we won't hold you to it, we promise. We never do with our guests. Uh, if so, you know, would you speculate on where you think gold and silver prices might be heading in the near future? Oh, no, definitely. Um, well, I'm, I'm still sticking to those points that I made uh, earlier. Uh, when could when could gold go north of two thousand and silver going north of a hundred? Well, to me, I, I think in terms of uh, the path, I, I think that gold I think has an excellent chance of uh, breaching the two thousand mark in uh, nineteen and two thousand seventeen. I think silver has a great chance of uh, of, of uh, meeting its old plateau of approximately fifty uh, sometime, possibly a year from now, as early as a year from now. Um, and uh, to me, uh, triple digits, uh, you know, I think are more than plausible during 2018 to 2019. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting because with the, with silver, I mean, I, I mean, I have a bias between the two. Yes, I like gold, definitely. And for me, silver, I like it because, look, it's, it's a lower price, so it's more affordable for a lot of folks. And the fact that there are so many manufacturing uses for it that are absorbing it along with investor demand, uh, which means, look, uh, you know, I don't sweat uh, how it's doing this week or next week or this month or next month. Uh, it's the kind of thing that if you're holding it three, four, five years, I mean, you'll be glad you did. I mean, think about it going, uh, looking backwards, say, 16 years. In the year 2000, 
Uh, take, for example, the Dow. The Dow was uh, roughly uh, 11, 12,000, uh, give or take, in the year 2000. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's around 18 right now. And again, I, I'm going to be very suspicious if it can be able to hold these levels in the next few years, given what I see coming. But regardless, uh, let's say you're talking about it was roughly 12,000 in the year 2000. So 16 years later, uh, the stock market uh, went up, I'd say, roughly 50%, right? Because we're talking about from 12, roughly 12 to roughly 18. You're talking about roughly a 50% move, you know, in uh, 16 years. It may sound at the, at the first uh, instance, uh, you know, like a good move, but when you break that 50% down over uh, 16 years, you're talking about, you know, barely above a CD rate when you think about it, certainly the old CD rates anyway. But think about uh, gold, for example, was roughly $300 in the year 2000. Again, give or take. I think it was less than that. And it's now around 1300 so it's uh, it's gone up a thousand from from three hundred. So you're talking about roughly you know uh, roughly three hundred percent. You know, forgive me if I'm off on the math. I'm just <laughs> saying off the top of my. No, head. it's just you're right Where, there. Yeah, we've talked about it at length. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And when you talk about silver, silver was under five at that time, and now it's at twenty. So again, roughly a, a similar move. It's a roughly three hundred percent move. Okay, so when I hear people telling me, well, you know, I'm in you know I'm in stocks, etc. This is good. I, look, I wrote the book Stock Investing for Dummies. I love stocks. I mean, there's some stocks I love more than others. I mean, I like, you know, I do, uh, for, the, for those who are growth-oriented, I like certain uh, gold and silver uh, mining stocks. You know, some of them have been superb. You know, but again, a lot of volatility and risk, certainly, because that's what's for more uh, growth-oriented folks. You know, I like stocks that are in consumer staples and some of the, you know, uh, defensive areas, etc. But the thing is, I, I'm, I, there's a lot of stocks I don't like. And I, I think if, if uh, some people within the sound of my voice were to say, cash out some of the social media stocks, which I think are at, uh, I think, uh, at inflated levels, and they took that money and diversified into gold and silver while they retained their quality dividend-paying stocks, then you have a much better you know, a diversification and an allocation, you know, of their money versus having a hundred representative in the stock market and uh, and think you're well diversified. You're not diversified enough, as far as I'm concerned. So yes, long term, gold and silver have outperformed the markets, and I I think that the, they're poised to outperform the uh, the stock market and certainly the bond markets for the next, you know, uh, three, four, five years and longer. Well, again, Paul, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. We're cut short for a bit of time here, but again, I'm speaking today with Paul Legenovic, author of Precious Metals Investing for Dummies, among many other books. Paul, please, before you uh, leave today, let our let our listening audience in Canada here know how they can get in touch with you and a little bit more about your website. Oh, well, thank you for uh, allowing me to say this. Uh, my website is ravencapitalist.com. And uh, the reason why I tell people my background is I was born in a communist country. That's how you become a raving capitalist. And I mentioned it in my seminars across the country so often that I figured, hey, what the heck, I might as well take the title. So ravencapitalist.com is my site. And uh, if people go there, I plan on putting a lot of content in there, you know, certainly free content so people can understand about the markets and the economy, etc., uh, but the, the things that they may want to consider looking at when they're there is uh, all of my seminars, including one on commodities investing, you know, is, at the, is uh, where it says my seminars. 
and all of my seminars are easy to uh, acquire and download instantly. They can go there and find more details. And among my books, uh, yes, thank you for mentioning Precious Metals Investing for Dummies. Uh, that's been out a while, and I plan on hopefully doing an update or something uh, to that. Depends on the publisher. But a book that I hope people consider, which I always I have also included a, a positive, uh, my positive take on gold and silver given today's economy, uh, is my latest book that I feel will benefit people in today's economy, especially with potentially markets soaring and markets crashing and bubbles popping, is the one called High Level Investing for Dummies. High Level Investing for Dummies. And that and other books are definitely uh, mentioned there you know, and covered there at uh, ravingcapitalist.com. So uh, I'll leave it at that. Thank you for letting me mention that, and I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you being on the show today, Paul, and we hope this is the first of many opportunities we'll have at The Real Money Show to speak with you. Godspeed to you, and we hope you have a great week, and uh, we look forward to speaking with you soon. Thanks again, Paul. Oh, I wish all of you tremendous financial success in these days. Thank you again. All right, take care.